0: Hello and welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast. We are EFL flavoured and we're sponsored by Betfair. This is the Monday pod recapping an EFL weekend where in the championship, Baggy's burly boy bags a brace to beat Borough. The Austrian Pele puts in a barnstorming display for full bodied clarets. Millwall's Fleming leaves Stokes spitting mad and Blackpool get minced by the inces as Big Mick winces. In League One, Sheffield Wednesday, palm off Charlton to make it 20 unbeaten, elegant posh, turn on the style, Barnsley duff up the Rams and it's Robins gone at Oxford. And in the fourth tier, Stevenage in denial as Carlisle go wild, wild goes barmy for Barrow's narrow win for Stockport, harrowing and Salford in Lunderland as the Amis play a lovely game of fives on their weekend stag party. This is the NTT20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. Thank you very much for a lovely game of fives. Hey, mate. Hello. How are you? How was Albania?
1: Albania was fantastic. I had a great time. I didn't fall asleep in any clubs. I was actually remarkably... Pretty solid form, really. I wasn't. I think I'm probably the least likely out of everyone to fall asleep.
0: Of all the people in the world that I know, you are the the one that I think is best at travelling and travel tips. You're a real everyman and a travel man. So, um Tirana as a weekend destination. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah, I, I would recommend it definitely for a city break. Uh, pretty cheap flights if you book them early enough. Um, Warm, warm climate, kind of late teens, um, when the sun was in and when the sun was out, which is quite nice. So even when it wasn't sunny, it still wasn't too chilly. Got cold at night. The two things I'd say in terms of a a city break you're going to find there is is a a lot of cocktail bars, which was um, quite interesting. I wouldn't say I'm a a huge cocktail man, but they're everywhere you go. They're trying to shove those down your throat. And just loads and loads of really good sushi. So... (laughs) Um, because i guess you're quite you're, you're quite near the sea um but pretty cheap um good fun yeah just to, it's, it's one of those kind of cities that i'm sure in 10 years or so will be well well traveled um because everything there is very nice and um people were very nice didn't really see any other tourists when we were there too so um yeah had a great time
0: Let's get into weekend action. In the Championship where we'll start, George, there was not a single draw. And you know I hate draws because wins and losses are much more significant and therefore more entertaining for the neutral. So uh, uh, 11 games in the Championship. Uh, We got one on Monday night between Swans and Rotherham. Uh, 11 winners and losers. It was a very top-heavy weekend in that, in the main... The top teams won and the bottom teams lost, but there were a few exceptions to that as well. We'll start with what I felt was the most interesting game before the weekend. It was West Brom against Middlesbrough. It was Corboran against Carrick. And even though in the last month or two, George, it was Carrick's Borough that have sustained their form while West Brom had dropped off somewhat, it was the Baggies that won this one by two goals to nil, both from Daryl DK. Yeah,
1: a deserved win, you have to say. And um, good for DK after some good form you know he'd come out of the side recently had been on the bench for for a few games and Carlos Corbrand decided to bring him back into the fold here and, and he rewarded him with two goals in the first 15 minutes that basically as we often say about Carlos Corbrand, there probably isn't a worse manager to go behind against and I think once you're 2-0 down away from home against uh against Corbrand's a Corbrand side you're going to struggle to get back into it even though Borough have been such an irresistible force going forward. And and I think the striking thing here is and it's, it's a bit ridiculous for for me to say this, given that you and I both tipped Borough in the in the um, betting show in midweek. But I'm kind of annoyed that I didn't stick to my guns a little bit here because as good as Borough have been, as we've spoken about in every game during this good run, they've conceded loads of good chances to the opposition and they've just been able to basically outscore the opposition despite not being particularly defensively solid. So in that sense, it shouldn't be massively surprising that a team was able to put those chances away and basically put the game out of sight for, for Borough who for once had an off day not in front of goal because they, they weren't particularly good going forward at all it wasn't until Isaiah Jones um, had a, a late shot really well saved by um, Josh Griffiths I, I've got a feeling the uh, Michael Jordan meme um, of taking it personally could apply to Josh Griffiths and your um, tirade against him on the betting show midweek tirade. where he put in a, a very good performance <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know, DK could have made it three. He was probably quite fortunate with a second goal, um, getting a, a second bite at it. Um, Zach Steffen, I, I think, should have done better. But this was very much a return to form and a very needed return to form because West Brom went from looking like they could be locks for the top six to looking as if they might drop out of contention. But beating Borough home 2-0, I think, will settle any nerves. It will settle any ideas that maybe the club were too quick to pin down Carlos Corboran to a new deal. We know as well that... Given murmurings, probably louder than murmurings, but you know, grumblings of uh, unrest or instability off the pitch at West Brom means that for them and their fans, a, a top six finish this season and an opportunity to go up through the playoffs could be very, very important indeed. So this is a—it's kind of hard to overstate, I guess, how big this is for for, for Baggies and and for for Borough. I'm sure Michael Carrick will say, fair enough, we've been beaten by a better side, but it doesn't change our incredible start to the season, albeit you know, their prospects of, of breaking into the top two uh, with uh, an almighty blow.
0: Yeah, Aurel Nazmiou, who's a data scientist with 21st Group, and, and he does these rather nice projections that he updates after each set of fixtures, and, and he normally tags us in the tweet, as he did this morning. Uh, at this stage of the season, I start taking extra notice of Aurel's uh, data viz, because the, the swings in in essentially what his projections look at is the probability of outcomes in the league. So, for example, um, probability chance of finishing top two in the playoffs or in the relegation battle. And of course, once you get into the last 15 games as we are, the, the swing after significant performances in probability gets bigger and bigger. And, and this is the first weekend where I've really looked at it and thought, yeah, we, we can legitimately say in good faith that was a very significant uh, result or set of results. For example, a 10% swing in terms of Sheffield United's chances of making the automatic promotion spot because uh, they've essentially cancelled out that defeat to Borough a couple of weeks ago, which had them a little bit worried. They beat Watford uh, 1-0. And I think it was a, a decent performance from Sheffield United. It was a good response to those back-to-back wins and the extra pressure maybe that they that they that was being put on them I'm not going to say that they were feeling because it's not for me to say what they were feeling but I feel like there's been it kind of the championship discourse has been set on fire in the last few weeks by Middlesbrough chasing down Sheffield United and the potential for that to happen so um this was a, a bit of a, a statement response from them I do think there's a touch of fortune in this win for example at 0-0 from the way that I see it, I think that Max Lowe pushes Keenan Davis with both hands on the back as Davis is is well running onto a through ball by Jael Pedro and about to pull the trigger. Davis then kind of falls on the ground and misses the ball. Now, I think it's a foul and a penalty. And given it's a push in the back and not a genuine attempt to play the ball, a red card as well. So if the referee agrees with that has a better view whatever it might be the game is, is obviously very different Watford um likely one nil up and playing against 10 men and then there's a touch of fortune with the own goal as well albeit it was an excellent corner routine to get McBurney a free header and they are so so good from set pieces and there's no luck involved with that um I think the thing that I liked most about Sheffield United's performance was that it felt like they were back to attacking in the manner that that served them pretty well. They scored an offside goal, which I think sums up one of the ways that they are so, so good. You know, the set-piece goal is another reason because they have got a lot of goals and picked up a lot of points thanks to that set-piece prowess. But if you look at the offside goal that was scored by Jaden Bogle... I love how many they've got in the box at that time. You have to work so hard defensively and you have to concentrate for the whole game against Sheffield United just through the sheer numbers that they attack with. You've got Ben Osborne delivering the ball from the left side and there are six Sheffield United players inside the box waiting to attack it, which includes their right-sided centre-back and the right wing-back, plus two centre-midfielders, plus two attackers. And Watford, well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what happened in the build-up, but they haven't got enough men back. They've only got five men defending their box. There's one extra attacker, um, and and it's not enough for them to defend. Anel is the extra man at the back post, as he so often is in that right centre-back marauding role, and he smashed it across for Bogle to, to head home. Um, at the left-hand post, the right wing-back, uh, albeit offside. I thought that probably sums up um, one of the the reasons why Sheffield United are such a good team and, and so difficult to defend against. Um, as for Watford, yeah, their playoff intentions taking a pretty big hit uh, given that almost everyone around them won. Not everyone, though. We'll get to Coventry against Sunderland in just a second. We'll tie off the top three, George, with Bar- Burnley four, Huddersfield nil. The reason I almost said Barnsley is because Ashley Barnes... Scored a goal, or rather was credited with a goal. That should not be his goal, I'm afraid.
1: I also wonder if it's you said that because another team called Barnes scored four, but we'll get onto that later. <laughs> yeah, it looked to me like uh, Barnes goes straight over to Zorori and points at him, basically saying, that's your goal, which is quite a nice touch. Um, but he seems to have been credited it so far. Hopefully that does change. Um, Neil Warnock said after this game, and this is classic Neil Warnock, so let's not put too much, um, you know, faith in his words but he said that Burnley are the best team that have played in the championship in the last 25 years um and I think that even though that's a little bit over exaggerate you know he's over exaggerating a little bit I I think you'd probably struggle to find many more dominant performances of one team over the other um at least in the last few seasons because this was just an absolute rout from Burnley who were the better team from start to finish who created chances at will Huddersfield couldn't really get get near them um I think the you know I'm sure Neil Warnock will be saying to his Huddersfield team exactly that uh, this morning at the training ground. Basically, just draw a line through that. It's totally relevant. Burnley, a Premier League side, don't get down. Don't get downbeat move on. Um, and he kind of said it with a smile on his face. I think he knows what he's doing because yeah, Huddersfield were, were miles off Burnley.
0: I don't know why you're questioning whether or not he's being completely true and faithful, given that he also said, Barnsley's playing like Pele. I know. Look, some of the goals that that Burnley scored were a little Brazil 1970. Some of the passing, beautiful. The second goal in particular, there's an extended version. You can see on Twitter where you realise that there's like 20, 25 passes. They build up for a minute. They pull Huddersfield from side to side. And, you know, that that fear that they strike into opponents that you've touched on a lot in the last few weeks was very evident as Huddersfield, you know, it was kind of like... They were a cat and you were. they were being toyed with a piece of string. Um, and then the, the incisive pass when they need to. Uh, for the second goal, it was Ekdal with a great ball through. Uh, the, the third goal, it was Goodmanson assisting Brownhill. And then the fourth goal, it was Roberts to release Teller to set up Obafemi. I think that's the difference between a, a possession-based team that can also slice a deep block open and the teams that can't and it's not easy to do you have to have a lot of trust you have to have a lot of uh balls really to make those sorts of passes as well and of course you have to have the movement in front of you uh, and that's what Burnley have in spades and that's where I love a lot of other teams who, who try and play a similar style I think fall down um now George we haven't mentioned Reading's 106 points championship points total record until now And we'll use Warnock's words to justify bringing it up. I haven't been interested in talking about it yet because, you know, I think these things don't need to be talked about really until there's probably eight games to go. But let's just mark the fact that for Burnley to match Reading's 106-point record, they will need 30 points from 12 games. Now, that is 2.5 points per game, which is, I mean, an insane rate. But I will just note that in their last 12 games, they've picked up 32 points. Uh, scoring more than twice a game on average and conceding less than half a goal a game on average. So if they just do what they've done in the last 12 games, they will beat the record. But that'll be a very, very tough test. Um, How about Coventry 2, Sunderland 0, George? Uh, Last Monday, I said, I can't work out if Coventry are good or average or average to good or average to poor. Well, now they've cranked out three wins in a row. I think we can certainly stick them in the at least average to good category.
1: For now, for sure. I mean, they're, they look in really good form um, and very much inserting themselves as part of that chasing pack to, to get into the top six. Um, they were good value for it here, although um, Sunderland fans um, would have thought Danny Bart nearly put them ahead early in the first half. I don't know if, if those who um, backed down Ballard on your advice maybe thought for a second as he rose up highest that that was Ballard with getting his head on the ball from the set piece. But yeah, um, it was uh, yeah Jamie Allen who continued his really good form with a really nice finish before uh, Giocares, um scored a a second goal that I think Coventry fans would have thought made the point safe, which it did until Amadialo with a just such a nonchalant goal into the far corner. Um, you know it was, it was a the kind of scream you'd only see in the ninety third minute where basically the Coventry backline knowing they were two 0 up just decided to stand off him and he he made them pay for it Um, but in terms of the game itself, um, Coventry with a really big win, it's another win against a team above them, another win against a team that they're probably going to have to finish above if they want to finish in the top six Um, and anyone doubting their credentials or anyone doubting the the incredible work that Mark Robbins is doing um, that yeah, the, the run of form over the last couple of days has certainly rerouted them this season back onto that top six
0: path I loved a couple of crunching Luke McNally tackles and then bringing the ball forward in the build-up to that first goal. He seems to have settled in really, really well there, which is pleasing to see. Uh, And we just need to savour every single... Jokeres game in the championship I think at this stage because uh, it is remarkable to watch him at the moment his well his everything his everything that we've ever spoke about with him just keeps getting better and better and and the performances seem to get better and better each time Um, so in the absence of just saying Gjok is good let me also shout out the goalkeeper uh, Ben Wilson who we haven't mentioned him much this season Um, he's certainly not one of the flashier goalkeepers with the the most incredible like background or, or history but He's the number one for Coventry and per the underlying numbers, he's been one of the best shot stoppers in the league this season. Um, A big strong hand to keep out a Diallo shot at 1-0 and therefore pretty key in this uh, victory. Three in a row for Coventry puts them in a a decent position for a a playoff tilt. Uh, They're going to need to keep it up though. Blackburn are in those positions. They've also won three in a row. They went to Loftus Road and they ruined Gareth Ainsworth's Homecoming, uh, and they scored three goals in the process, which is more goals than they normally score. Uh, and I think the first thing to point out f- for the moment with Blackburn is they've won three in a row. And they've done it largely without Ben Briarton diaz who came off injured in the Swansea game. That was the first win of the three um, when they were nil-nil. They, they won that game without him. Uh, then they went and beat Blackpool 1-0 without him, with Dolan scoring the goal. And here, Sam Gallagher scored his first goals for a while, and Sammy Smodics, him and Dolan are probably the ones that profit most in terms of minutes from a, a Diaz injury. They uh, were on the score sheet here. So there will be a lot of championship observers who, for the last day, 18 months would likely have had the opinion of Blackburn they're an okay team but they're very reliant on Briart and Diaz the, the Chilean superstar and for a lot of the last 18 months that would have been close to true uh, but it wouldn't be true now so don't say it don't even think it he's not there and they're doing just fine, uh, and partly because a lot of others are stepping up. Donan has mentioned Smoddix and Gallagher, uh, but Sorba Thomas uh, has, has made a, a nice little role for himself on the right-hand side for Blackburn. I think gave them something that they didn't really have um, previously in the squad, so a nice January pickup, and then there's a couple of others that need to be um, mentioned here. Lewis Travis with a magnificent assist for Smoddix for the second goal, uh, and and one of my favourite bits of not the top content was uh, uh, Joe Rankin Costello somewhat stitching up his mate Lewis in the post match interview when talking about his own reaction to his own assist. Listen to this.
1: Who'd have thought Traff turning into De Bruyne on the stroke do of know halftime what's as well. funny, by the What way. a ball that is, by do the you way. Know what's funny, right? He was like, no one was celebrating with him, and I could hear him running off going, Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> I swear, that. But not, he didn't know anyone could hear him, do you know what I mean?
0: I'm sure we've all been in the uh, playground when we were younger, screaming the name of our favourite player, having scored an absolute screamer. Now, I did go back and check the tape. Does it matter that ranking Costello isn't really anywhere near him? And so I'm slightly dubious as to whether he actually did hear him shout, (laughs) Kevin De Bruyne. I don't know. I don't know, but it's a good story. and 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 you know what Rankin Costello's form has been absolutely remarkable in the couple of weeks in the last couple of weeks rather uh, he missed such a big chunk of the season through injury when he came back i felt he looked really really rusty uh, and it and it wasn't helping the team that's for sure but actually now he's He's just been in fabulous form playing right back. Uh, His assist for the third goal was brilliant. Uh, He played a huge big switch with the outside of his right foot in midweek to set up Thomas uh, for the assist for Dolan's winning goal uh, against Blackpool as well. He's really playing well at the moment. Uh, Very, very pleasing to see. We've paid off Blackburn and now we've got to talk about QPR, George, because uh, I saw a few people, QPR fans, tweeting that this was the most they've looked forward to a QPR game in ages. And then I'm thinking of that SpongeBob SquarePants thing where it goes like, two hours later. (laughs) And then all the QPR fans are like, oh, no, we're definitely getting relegated and there's nothing Ainsworth can do about it.
1: Well, I mean, uh, Gareth Ainsworth, I think, will feel incredibly frustrated. Well, he will feel frustrated at how his his tenures started at QPR in a game that would have mattered so much to him. Um, You know, the fact that it was Blackburn who they're up against, you know, his hometown um, can't be ignored in how high emotions would have been here. And, you know, they've basically been undone by a huge deflection for the first, which is a familiar story with, um, with, with Blackburn this season, but then two moments of ridiculous quality, as you said, from Travis and Rankin Costello to create the chances for the second and third goal. Um, In the first half, they, were, apart from those two moments, well, I mean, the second one came in the the second half, but, you know, in terms of the balance of play, they were at it. I think when, even when Mr. Positivity, wild thing comes through the door, when suddenly you're two goals down at home, it's unsurprising the heads dropped and and they couldn't really work work their way back into the game. Um, I don't think that you can read basically anything into what we've seen so far. I think the most telling part of Saturday in terms of QPR going forward was on the EFL highlight show when he was interviewed in the studio and Hugh Wiesencroft said the the presenter said to Gareth Ainsworth you know there's a lot has been said about your style of play what are we going to see basically and he initially the first thing Gareth Ainsworth said was you know we've got players who are good on the ball and that's great and then there was a but and it was a big but and it was him saying but we've We've tried too much on the ball today already and I need to get that message across to the players. So he certainly doesn't feel like what he wants to see from his team is carried out. He was very quick to point out as well in that interview that he's only had two training sessions and he doesn't really feel like he's been able to implement his ideas properly. So I think we're going to see a shift probably next time we see QPR play this coming weekend in terms of how direct they're going to be. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And I think that any... QPR fans who went to the game on Saturday excited to see a QPR side and left concerned about Gareth Ainsworth's side, I think he'd be very quick to tell you, hold on, I haven't started working yet. My
0: feet aren't really under the table. There's only so much I can do. Be patient and it will improve. George Stoke nil, Millwall one. Always think it must be sweet for Gary Rowett to go back to Stoke and win after such a, a poor spell as manager of Stoke when they were relegated from the Premier League his Millwall side looked down on Stoke in the championship table that's for sure very much in the playoff places at the moment and winning away from home which is as we said a couple of weeks ago one very clear thing that they've improved on this season uh, versus the last few and that's a big reason why they're in those playoff places and looking pretty solid
1: yeah and no surprise it was Zion Fleming with another moment of, of sheer quality with the all-important goal. Um, and they were really good value for it again. They have added attacking flair in that sense to the team, but at absolutely no, you know, no turn have they had sacrificed their defensive solidity. And that was the case with Stoke, despite being at home, despite being 1-0 down early in the game, really struggling to create anything of note throughout. And Mill will deserve immense credit and immense respect um as I said I think they've created a us against their mentality that is part of that that club's DNA um and they despite I think the fact that everyone respects what Gary Rowett was doing in them as a club they still feel like they're proving people wrong by going ahead and doing that and you can see that in their performances It's, it's only a positive thing for Stoke though I mean they've got 40 points um as we stand, as, as we sit here now, they're nine points clear of the relegation zone. You'd think they will be okay. Um, but there is just no sign from what I can see of, of Alex Neil working his magic there. I just don't, I'm so confused as to how different managers with different ideas, different CVs and successes, different personality types can just come in and out of Stoke City and just fail to. Breathe life and to wake up. What is a club? You know, a club with a squad that, in my mind, is better than what they show. Certainly, a budget that is that belies their low, lowly league position. You know, they're not. They might not be one of the big hitters in the in the division, but there's no way they should be sitting down in seventeenth place. Um, you know, for, for Alex Neil, it's crazy to think now that only a couple of months ago he chose to leave Sunderland to to go to Stoke, presumably seeing that as a better career move for him. Sunderland very much in the hunt for a top six sitting in the top six now Stoke basically in relegation form sitting only nine points above the drop zone um as I say there are too many poor teams down towards the bottom end you know the likes of McCarthy and Warnock are going to have to work miracles if if teams like Stoke are going to be dragged into it but it has very little of anything to be to be remotely positive about in terms of Stoke's performances and their results and this is a malaise that's now lasted four or five seasons um I, I do not understand how a club who have, by all accounts, very supportive owners in the Coates family um, who uh, you know are willing to support managers both in terms of time and resource, how consistently managers who we think a lot of who then move on and do okay in other jobs as well. It's it's not like they, they keep hiring total frauds who got lucky once in their career. We know that Alex Neal is a quality manager, but what we see from Alex Neil teams in the past—Norwich, Preston, uh, Sunderland—just isn't on display at Stoke. There's no identity to their play whatsoever. No improvement of, of individual players. Um, I I still think he's a brilliant manager. I cannot put my finger on what is going wrong.
0: Well, Millwall march on, uh, and I think a, a highly motivated Millwall side with this defensive force field that's very very reliable and has been over a long period of time now and then this trigger happy Dutchman as well they're going to be a real problem for, for any opposition lacking motivation in the next 13 games and if they can get, uh, well, what win more than half of their games, you'd say they have a very very good chance of extending their season into May. Another team that's also on 53 points with a plus 8 goal difference, exactly the same as Millwall 6th uh, place and 5th place respectively uh, is Luton Town now they won 1-0 away from home as well they beat a Birmingham side who have been in really, really poor form in the last couple of months. I think that Alfie Doughty is probably the first one that I want to mention here because he sets up Carlton Morris for another brilliant goal. And I think Doughty's emergence over the last couple of months and particularly what he can do in attack is delivery, his speed and his attacking verve. Uh, and, and just that all round threat has really raised their ceiling going forward um, compared to you know, let's say Amari Bell and James Bree, who, who've been the, the wingbacks pretty consistently over the last two years. It was a great cross onto the head of, of Carlton Morris. It means that in 12 games now under Rob Edwards, they've picked up 23 points, which is 1.9 points per game. Very, very strong points return. Um, very Good, sturdy defensive numbers, which they've maintained from the Jones era. Uh, only 10 goals conceded in 12 games. Underlying uh, very, very strong backs that up as as being sustainable. Going forward, they are running nice and hot, um, Carlton Morris in particular. Uh, I think what helps with Morris, someone who's in the, the, the confident vein of form that he's in, but also can score with both feet, And as we saw here, a sort of thumping number nines type header as well means that, you know, I'd be I'd be a little bit more confident in him being able to sustain it, albeit most likely dropping off a little bit back towards his uh, his sort of expected numbers. The funny thing is, is that even if Morris does regress, there's a chance that Elijah Adebayo might regress positively because in that time... He's actually back towards the top of the league in terms of XG per 90 for Championship strikers, but he's on a bit of a cold streak in front of goal and, and in the last few weeks in particular has missed some seemingly very presentable chances while Morris is is scoring bangers. So it might be that uh, Morris' scoring rate drops a little and Adebayos picks up a little bit and, and the team will continue its good form. I think the transition from Jones to Edwards has just gone about as well as possible. Um, the, the difference in character and personality has worked very well. Every single word that Rob Edwards has said uh, to the club media, to the national media, and I have no doubt to the players and staff as well. You know, he hasn't put a foot wrong on that front and therefore has built up instantly quite a lot of credit, which which other managers who replace popular talismanic managers might struggle with. Um, and and some, some nice visible s- tweaks to the style of play, which I think the fans are enjoying um, more. Extra passes in, in build-up for sure um, can still go long and have the strikers uh, to make that work and have the, the bodies arriving to pick up the scraps to make that work. And, and that's a big positive of their, the squad that they've built. But they are working a little bit more through the thirds. The midfielders themselves are spending a bit more time on the ball. And and, and there's some slightly more aesthetically pleasing, uh, I guess, football being played uh, while also still pressing really well. So um, really, really positive stuff. Basically, if they were creating more from open play, they definitively be one of the top, top teams in the division. And it might be that that um, comes over the next few, well, over the next 12 games, because often uh, managers sort of improve the the attacking output as they go. So a really positive weekend for Luton. It was the end of a miserable week for Birmingham City. As always, uh, matters off the field causing uh, the the main source of the angst and the, the problems, uh, but matters on the field as well have been so, well, bad for like five years now. Um, last week, Birmingham were charged by the English Football League with alleged rule breaches as a result of an investigation into a takeover bid. Uh, The EFL said sufficient evidence exists to issue charges of misconduct. The charges allege that a number of people were allowed to act as relevant persons without EFL approval. Uh, There are also charges alleging the passing over of control of the club happened without requisite approval, uh, be referred to an independent disciplinary commission, and the EFL have said that they will make no further comment. Um, There are a number of people with much better understanding of the situation and much better at explaining it. Um, Majir is a, uh, Dan Ivory is his real name, is a Birmingham City fan on Twitter that provides incredible insight into the, the web of Birmingham City's ownership group uh, and the issues that they are causing. From what I have read and heard and seen, this is very serious stuff and the punishments could be pretty severe as well. Now, one outcome could be that It makes the ownership group shed a bit more clarity on its operation which they have never ever done certainly not properly so uh, that would be a a small morsel I guess of of a positive outcome but overall I'm afraid Birmingham City fans having enjoyed let's say three months of the season from September until December uh, are now back to fearing for their future and tearing their hair out at an ownership group that they well that they feel is 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 causing the club huge issues and it's impossible to disagree um just outside the playoffs we had Norwich to Cardiff nil took them a while to get going Norwich but then uh, two Brazilians Sara and Marquinhos started getting on the ball Sara with a sighter Marquinhos with a sighter and then Sara scoring and then Marquinhos scoring um his first start for Norwich having joined on loan from Arsenal in January Marquinhos is only 19 and he's already got a Copa Libertadores and Europa League goal to his name George that the Norwich squad is is quite fun actually isn't it really when they're playing well great fun I mean if you think back to the goal that Nunez
1: scored um, just a couple of days before and then two Brazilians playing in yellow kits lighting up Carrow Road um, it definitely feels to me like the the good you know the good feeling at Norwich has certainly returned Um, and that is the most important thing because it was difficult to watch under Dean Smith with a club that has lit up the championship so many times in, in recent seasons just really falling short and, and fans just not feeling particularly enamoured with, with what's going on. Um, you know, key players who are very talented certainly stepping up, Sara and, and Nunes being two of those um, and you know, Adam Ida uh, will feel like he should have scored a third hitting the ball over the bar, having rounded of the keeper, kind of off balance with the defender in between him and the goal um, for Cardiff I mean Again, it's one of those where there's no real shame going to Norwich and getting beaten 2-0. Sabri Limucci's made a fairly decent start and charge there. Um, this would have been a bonus to get anything from the game. But um, but yeah, Norwich, comfortable winners and, and deserved winners.
0: I did notice that one website managed to, with no shame seemingly, use the headline, Marquinhos' debut golasso shows he's the reincarnation of Ian Wright. Wow. Can't be the most disgraceful combination of words <laughs> I've ever seen, but... Got my click, didn't they?
1: Is it as disgraceful as regressing positively?
0: <laughs> Progressing <laughs> to the mean is what I should have said. Uh, anyway, Sarah has been magnificent the last few weeks, probably has a shout for player of the month for Feb, dare I say it, uh, and has really, really uh, grown into the season. Um, Preston 2, Wigan 1, George or Bristol City 1, Hull nil. I'll give you the choice.
1: Bristol City 1, Hull nil. because, I mean, <laughs> things like London buses um come along you know wait for ages one and two come along at once i mean this is absolutely insane that um Bristol City have managed to get another penalty uh which decides this game and well, sticking it away was it a pen i mean <clears throat> when you look back at that thread of all the penalties that Bristol City weren't given um i think this would look pretty um wouldn't look out of place within that uh Cyrus Christie's hands are up but are like in front of his tummy and it hits him there's definitely no is that a, a making your body bigger no is it an unnatural position no does it hit his hand yes does anyone know the handball rule no so um i'm not going to say that it wasn't a, uh, a pen um i mean there wasn't really much in the game uh, but great penalty and then nigel pearson doing a little dance in the corner just or in, the, in the tunnel just to make everyone happy as well great to see nigel pearson happier Definitely doesn't feel like he'd have been doing a jig in the stadium um, four or six weeks ago when the relationship between him and the fans was really crumbling. Um, disappointing for Hull, who's a good, you know, good spell under a senior, um, is turning a little bit. I don't think there's too much to worry about in terms of performances, um, but they aren't looking quite as, as good going forward as they were a, a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm beaten in nine now, Bristol City. Four wins and, and five draws. So still more draws than wins, but as you say, much better vibes at the moment at Ashton Gate. And uh, a happy and relaxed Nigel Pearson always puts me at ease. Um, Preston 2, Wigan 1. Preston's first home win since the 1st of November. I think it was one point from six home games previously. So I'm very happy for the deep match-going fans to have seen their team win win. Uh, Was it entirely convincing? Not really. Uh, They went behind to an own goal. Quite a nice attacking move from Wigan who started uh, relatively well but Preston got back into it with uh, another questionable penalty decision. Uh, Johnson getting there in front of the goalkeeper Amos and I mean I don't know. I think it looked pretty soft personally but the penalty was scored Uh, and then really nice bit of speed and a lovely finish from young Tom cannon who is uh preston striker on loan from everton uh, running in behind um speeding away from the defender and finishing really really nicely into the corner so uh, a positive win for preston uh, on the uh, the aforementioned championship uh, season outcomes um uh, projections table that i mentioned earlier preston are with 13 to- games to go in that beautiful beautiful spot of having essentially chance of promotion and 0% chance of relegation. So I'm not quite sure what's going to keep them going, keep them occupied for the next few weeks, but uh, things like Tom Cannon's progression might help. Uh, And Reading 3, Blackpool 1 was a a big game, it felt, for Blackpool. It was a big game for uh, Paul Ince and Thomas Ince up against uh, their former club in Blackpool. There's not a lot of love lost, certainly between the Blackpool fans and Paul Ince. So I dare say quite sweet for Reading to get a pretty comfortable 3-1 win put 13 points between themselves and Blackpool themselves and the relegation zone Reading we'll see you in the championship next season and it's always a delight and a joy to be talking about you playing championship football and we've always said that Um, Where do you think we'll have them in the uh, 124s? Well I'm just interested to see how they approach the summer you know I I think a really good, (laughs) good summer of recruitment and they could be all the way up in in 20th this this next year who's to say? It's very difficult to say. Yeah, the
1: year <laughs> that we don't have them in the relegation zone will be the season they go down. So correct,
0: that's how it works. Um, the uh, the two goals from Tom Inns probably the highlight. Um, first one with a, a, a generous deflection, the second one is a sweet strike. Andy Carroll with a pen, uh, and then a late consolation from Blackpool who seven games under Mick McCarthy they've picked up five points that is not the bounce that the Blackpool board were hoping to get from Mick McCarthy um, certainly hasn't had the requisite impact defensively the team still looks pretty leaky even though they are basically setting up to defend their box and, and not a lot else attack wise again he just hasn't had the same impact that he had when he first got to Cardiff for example he doesn't have key for more, as was noted at the time but they haven't scored a single set-piece goal, and that was a huge part of Cardiff's attacking diet. So, um, you know, they they really, really need to pick up some wins soon. Otherwise, you worry that their season might sort of peter out somewhat. Swansea-Rotherham tonight, uh, Monday night in the Champ. Even without playing, George, Rotherham's survival chances grew massively because everyone else in the bottom eight at the start of the weekend lost. So if they can get even one point or all three, it's going to be huge for the Millers. Um, Swansea, of course, definitely need to impress their fans who are not very happy. So we'll wait and see what happens there. And let's go into League One. At the top, no surprise whatsoever to say that Sheffield Wednesday won again, George. This time, 1-0 winners at Charlton.
1: Yeah, uh- Resounding 1-0 win, if that is a thing. Um, Palmer scoring the, the all-important goal, but Charlton didn't have a shot in the game, I think, until about the 60th minute, which just shows you how how comfortable this was going away from home. Uh, Barry Bannon nearly scored a brilliant goal. Early on in the game, um, I mentioned my pretty significant concerns about Charlton um, and their recent performance levels, and therefore I think you know it was a, a game you'd expect Sheffield Wednesday to win. Um, but even so... With teams around them, or with you know the one team closest to them, certainly falling in terms of their performance level, which we'll talk about in a second, um, it does now feel like we're creeping towards you know if we think Burnley have, have all but won the championship, we're not that far away. I don't think from from having to to acknowledge that it's going to take a rem- you know a big drop off in terms of where Sheffield Wednesday are if they're not to win League One.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Palmer at right wing back this time, having (laughs) spoken about him thriving at right centre-back last Monday uh, and getting another goal. Five now this season for Liam Palmer, having scored three in 300 games uh, before that. Uh, Peterborough beat Plymouth Argyle 5-2, one of three 5-2 scorelines across the EFL on Saturday, which is a bit of fun. Um, Peterborough starting their tough run of games, which includes a fixture against Sheffield Wednesday, with a big win um, and, and a brace for Clark Harris. Uh, he's definitely claiming one where I wasn't actually convinced he got a touch, but fine, the goal's been given to him. It means he means he's three clear at the top of the League One goal-scoring charts now, looking like he will win another uh, League One Golden Boot, just like he did two years ago. Uh, and as for Argyle, well, you know, with credit to Peterborough for uh, ex- making the most of some mistakes, some slips at the back, particularly a rampant attacking quad of. Efron Mason Clark, Kwame Poku, two of our favourite attacking players to watch in League One this season. Um, Burrows as well with a goal, and Clark Harris clearly um, with two himself. It just struck me as basically all the stuff, George, that just didn't happen to Argyle in the first part of the season. Um, shots going through the goalkeeper, uh, not looking after the ball at the back, but also being like comprehensively punished every time they did give it away, giving away a penalty with just like a bit of lax defending at the back post. Um, it was not a good afternoon for them. Like 12 shots on target, but Peterborough had. You cannot be doing that anymore, Argyle. Let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, they got a home game on the weekend. They can pull up their socks and go again. But I'm just wondering off the back of this, how concerned you are f- for Argyle, Ipswich winning 1-0 at MK as well. Pretty concerned. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, <laughs>
1: I've been saying it for a long time um, that you cannot continue to concede so many shots in games and anticipate you're going to manage to continue to win them and um, you know I've had a lot of Argyle fans uh, get in touch over the last couple of months unsurprisingly I didn't hear from many over the weekend because you know this was a game where as you say they conceded plenty of opportunities plenty of chances and without Mike Cooper in goal um, you know Burton obviously made Seven saves, given their 12 shots on target. But, you know, the, the fifth goal, especially, you've got to look at him and, and probably think that Mike Cooper wouldn't be letting that in. You've also got to wonder if, you know, having not having a keeper who's your player of the season, your best player in goal, will have an effect on the, 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 you know, the back three and the wing backs in front of them as well. You know, for Argyle, it was still a decent attacking performance. You know, it was one of those ridiculous games where it was so end-to-end that it doesn't really matter. But they, they created plenty in the game. They scored two goals. But, you know, Posh were totally and utterly dominant. Uh, in an attacking sense, and we're a- basically able to create chances at will. That f- the five goals they scored doesn't really flatter them. I think it was about three point five expected goals in the game. So, um, yeah, I'm you know I've I was worried, concerned for their automatic promotion prospects when they were winning games. It, that became a pretty serious concern when Cooper got injured. And on the evidence of what we're seeing now, y- you'd be mad not to acknowledge that. Y- something's going to have to change. You know, they are only um, five points clear of, of Ipswich as it stands. Bolton queuing up in behind two. Barnsley with games in hand. I mean, feasibly now, having been like, oh, it's Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday, Plymouth and, um, and Ipswich. I think you're looking at, at two of the top six who could feasibly force their way in. Because even though, you know, Derby are, are currently uh, nine points behind with a game in hand, that's only six if they win that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I still think Plymouth Argyle could quite clearly um, improve and still finish seconds and get that automatic promotion birth. Um but the evidence is starting to, to stack up that that it might not happen uh, and that's not bias it isn't you know any willingness for me to see it not happen it's just a a body of work this season that has not been built on Preventing the opposition from creating good goal-scoring chances, and that is going to catch up with you with a tangible reason why it might accelerate now with the, with a change of personnel in goal. You know, if you look at um, the uh, top two finish odds um, with the Betfair sportsbook, um, Ipswich are now favourites to finish ahead of, of Plymouth and finish second, uh, with with Derby and Barnsley both single-figure prices. You know, Plymouth are now five to fourth to, to to finish in the top two. So, you know, according to the Betfair sportsbook, it is more likely than not that Argyle will have to settle for the playoffs at best Um, and I think I'm leaning on on that maybe being the case as well Um, I think we've got to see them become more solid especially on the road
0: well shoot the messenger that's what I say Mm, no don't say that that is your voice dripping with contempt as you talk. Uh, no, I'm being silly. Uh, Ipswich closed the gap. Five points, as you mentioned. Big moment early on here. One of my favourite passages of play of the EFL weekend. Just an absolutely epic... I'm not even sure you could call it a goal mass scramble because that, that probably needs more bodies um, uh, in inside the box. But what it was was four MK Dons shots within about eight seconds uh, of each other. The first one blocked by Cam Burgess. The second one... Uh, somehow blocked on the line by Edmondson, um, who was inside the goal just a millisecond before, uh, and then a double save from Christian Walton from two e- uh, extra rebounds. It was a, a big moment in the game. Uh, Ipswich then going ahead. Um, uh, Morsi nicking the ball off off Devoy's feet, striding forward and smashing that in, which is uh, I must admit is a goal that I feel like I've seen before this season, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you when. Um, and uh, and, and Ipswich a little bit wasteful overall. Mk not having too many opportunities outside of that big one early on. And um, here are some stats, George. I'm afraid they're not good stats uh, for Mk Dons. They're not. Uh, they're not complimentary stats. Well, actually, I don't think a stat can be complementary because it's just it just is or it isn't. You know, it just is.
1: Well, no, I think it can be. Can it? If it within context, if it is telling a story uh, of you know, complimentary, you know, if, you're, if your stat is that you've taken 100 shots wow. in a game, that might not be very good though, because where are they from? Where are the locations?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I just think that there's almost a human aspect to the word complimentary, a kind of like, it comes with expression, it comes with like an expression of, of admiration, rather than just an objective fact isn't necessarily inferring anything positive or negative. Anyway, um, MK, here are the stats. MK have played... Uh, 11 of the top 13 teams in the league at Stadium MK and they've lost all 11 games. They have played 15 games total home and away against the best nine teams, the top nine teams in the league. They've lost all 15 of those games. Against top half teams, MK Dons' record is 1-1, lost 18 Three points from 19 fixtures there against the top half teams in the division. And against the bottom half, it's seven wins, five draws and two defeats, which is 26 points from 14 games, which is a pretty good record against the bottom half teams. But because they're so, so poor and seemingly have such an inferiority complex against the top teams in the division, of which they were one last season... They've essentially given themselves twenty-three matches to play with in order to get the amount of points they need to stay up, just against the bottom half, which is uh, yeah, which has really undermined them this season. Big one was Barnsley derby, George. It was fifth versus sixth. Big match preview, big result, big statement from the Tykes. Four-one.
1: Yeah, massive statement. I mean, I hold my hands up and say I got this completely wrong on our big match preview on you over on the the YouTube channel. Um, you know, I saw Derby's performances over the last couple of months as being far more rock solid uh, than Barnsley's. But on the day, Barnsley with a better side by by absolutely miles here. Um Derby not at it at all. Uh, really weird. You know, if you if like me you kind of you look at managers and their their teams kind of being in the image of them, I I can't think of that many games in isolation, that Warns Rotherham team just just threw in a really bad one. You know there were there were runs, of course. And I guess that might be a concern for Derby that this could be the start of a of a poorer run off the back of what's been a, a brilliant few months. Um, you know, we saw Rotherham go through a, a terrible run of form last season that looked to to scupper their promotion bid for a while before before rerouting and getting it back on track. Um, but Barnsley deserve all the credit. Um, again, I wonder if um, Devante Cole listened to watched our preview and decided that he was going to take that personally because he put in a, a really good performance up front. Um, they were just dominant in every facet of their play. Derby, the Derby bat line not looking um, as robust as it, as it usually does. Um, I think Derby fans are left feeling pretty concerned over their promotion aspirations by being just well beaten. Um, but credit has to go to Mike Duff, who... You know, when you've got a manager who's only managed one club, and, and you think of the the difference in profile and size and expectation and pressures between Cheltenham and and Barnsley in League One, that can often not really track. Um, but there's no denying that with Duff, it, it absolutely has. You know, he uh, has come into the club and you know took some time early on in the season, but they are. Just a, a, a quite similar team, I guess, to the to the Cheltenham that we saw in League Two, albeit with more technically gifted players. Um, very very robust. Uh, not necessarily the you know the, the most the, the prettiest team to watch, but not by no means a defensive side. A team who scores a lot of goals, able to create chances, plenty of quality out wide, two strikers who, who can both score. It's. Um, it's good to see, and, and as I said a second ago when talking about Plymouth Argyle, they they have inserted themselves very, very much in this race to finish in the top two.
0: They are, amongst the top six teams, the most direct team of, of that top six. They do play longer and more direct than the rest of them. I guess what I would say is, particularly, was it the first or second goal, like the players that they have playing long passes are quality passing midfielders in the main. Herbie Kane with a raking ball out wide in the build-up to one of the goals. Uh, Connell as well, his passing range with his left peg is brilliant. So I I guess at the very least, like the players that they have um, playing those passes tend to be, you know, ball players, which I think is, uh, is is a big reason why they, you know, those passes tend to, to be part of goals rather than just punts downfield and, and see what happens. I know that's not what you're inferring, but I just thought I'd pick up on that. Uh, Bolton beat Port Vale 2-1. They keep rolling, albeit uh, they weren't at their best here. Port Vale came out hot. Uh, Garrity hit the post early on, Harrison had a shot saved and then almost immediately a nice Vale attack ended with Harrison tapping home at the back post. But Bolton responded by scoring two of their next three shots. Uh, finishing was on point here, Adeboyejo with his first goal for the club and then Sheehan with his first of the season. So um, two sort of uh, significant goal scorers as well, personally, uh, you'd think. Uh, and not a vintage performance by any means. I was actually probably left this one more impressed with Port Vale. And uh, kind of impressed with their away performance here, but uh, Bolton seeing it out for the three points. Trafford with some some good saves, and you know you're unlikely to be good every week. So at least when you're not good, it's good to win games. But uh, they'll need to pick it up next time. Shrewsbury beat Wickham, um, and that was significant for playoff chases You'd say that they've they've both got quite a lot of ground to make up. Wickham are. Well, Wickham are four points behind Derby. It's not that much. Shrewsbury, six points behind. But I think it would have been easy for Shrews after that that amazing winning run came to an end. To, to match it with a kind of uh, a slightly less lesser streak. But no, not Steve Cotter or Shrewsbury. They, they summoned a good performance here. Sadie with a great assist for the first and Pike doubled their lead. Uh, Morosi with a big save as well. So everyone contributing. Um, and, and Shrews have now hit 15 league wins by the end of February, which is just so, so good. It's already three more than last season. Uh, their opponents, George, were being managed for the first time by someone not named gareth ainsworth i should say for the first time in in uh, close to a decade not the first time ever um <laughs> but someone well known to them uh, matt bloomfield can we talk about the appointment of matt bloomfield to replace gareth ainsworth an interesting one
1: really interesting because there are two ways for matt bloomfield to go about this now there is there is nobody who knows wickham Wanderers Football Club better than Matt Bloomfield um, given how long he was there as a player and there's nobody who knows Gareth Ainsworth's Matt Bloomfield given how long he played for him Um, and there must be a temptation given how successful Ainsworth had been over that period of time for Matt Bloomfield just to go after continuity and think to himself right lads we are well drilled here let's just keep doing what we normally do but then similarly Matt Bloomfield is his own man and you know I think there were some similarities in terms of what he had as Colchester side doing with the ball. I don't think for a second, though, that he is just a Gareth Ainsworth light. So do you want to come in and try and implement your own ideas? In that sense, I think it's quite difficult because similarly, um, Ainsworth has taken Wickham to such a level and I think has the kind of cult of personality around him, which has enabled him to, to recruit players of a very, very specific um type in terms of being players who wouldn't in terms of their kind of career tra- trajectory was, was almost on the way down at a period of their career going to the twilight of that career That were probably happy to go and play for a team in Wickham that you know because Ainsworth was there I think it would be really unfair to judge Bloomfield off the back of Ainsworth's successes so where does that leave them this season a team who were on the brink of the playoffs but still very much you know odds against to get into the playoffs when Ainsworth left. So the expectation for this season surely can't be that Bloomfield gets them into the top six. If he does so, that would be an unbelievable job. And then going into next season, where do you set the expectations for him now? Because Ainsworth has clearly got Wickham punching above their weight consistently. And as I mentioned, there may not be, you know, the opportunity for um, for Bloomfield to attract the same type of players as 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 his predecessor was able to. So. I'm I'm delighted with the appointment. I think when you've had a a a team, a successful team with such a clear identity, to go and and recruit someone to come back to the club who was such a big part of that identity can only be a really good thing. But you know, having said that, with if Wickham have a mid-table budget for next season, is it unfair to expect Bloomfield to come in and immediately have them punching above their weight at the top end of League One? Maybe, um, but. Given how popular he is with the fans, given the, the the decent, very decent start to management that we saw him undertake at Colchester United, and the fact that it took Ainsworth a while to to get Wickham really going in League Two, I'm sure the Wickham fans will be will be understanding of that and will, will be willing to bide their time, I guess, and and give him a fair a fair chance to, to implement whatever he wants to do at the club.
0: Yeah, you know what? I think that the story of Wickham has been basically presented. By all involved as a fairy tale for like eight years. And so, this is the obvious way to try and keep the fairy tale alive. Like, once you appoint someone random or external with no link to the club, the fairy tale clearly ends. And I guess you hope for another one, but wow, that's tough shoes to fill. And maybe with Matt Bloomfield in charge, the fairy tale ends anyway. But I've got no qualms with them giving it a go because I do see them as a unique club. Um, Based on on the time period that we've been covering the EFL, I just don't think you can really think about Wickham and managerial appointments in the same way as as other clubs that chop and change all the time. Um, But completely agree with your sort of wider point. I think it will be so difficult to get close to maintaining what Ainsworth has done, regardless of who they hired, Matt Bloomfield or Pep Guardiola. You know, I honestly think it's hard to see them... Uh, In the long term, staying towards a League One playoff battle type club, Um, not just this season, but beyond that. But we will see. And and the gauntlet very much laid down. He he obviously did a good job in three months at Colchester United. Uh, More managerial stuff, George, the only team in the bottom 10 at the start of the weekend in League One that picked up all three points were Bristol Rovers, who went to Oxford United and won 3-0. Uh, it, was, it was a clinical performance from Bristol Rovers rather than a dominant one. Uh, five shots, three goals. Uh, helpful to be awarded a penalty for your first goal, uh, given away by Branigan. And uh, on the Oxford side of things, my sense, George, was that this was deja vu all over again. Penalty given away after a relatively bright start and then never looking very likely after that, a goal in transition for the second, a set piece header for the third, and Carl Robinson on Sunday being sacked. Uh, there haven't been very many sacked Oxford United managers in the years, the seven years that we've done this podcast. So, George, your reaction?
1: Relief, I think, is the is probably the right word. Um, you know, uh, to to caveat this, <clears throat> being an Oxford fan and working in you know the, the jobs that we do. I have um, had some experiences with Carl Robinson. I've interviewed him uh, for The Athletic. We've had him on this podcast a couple of times and he's always been incredibly good with me and nice with me. And, you know, we have a... Not, I'm not going to pretend I'm friends with him, but we have a relationship, which is a good one. So I'm not going to um, disrespect him by, you know, applauding or celebrating his his sacking. Having said that, there quite clearly, things have been very, very wrong at the club. Um dating back i would say to january 2022 where oxford were in a great position during the january window there were quite some quite clear deficiencies in the squad and for whatever reason those deficiencies were not addressed um it's been two and a half years basically of oxford wanting a holding midfield oxford fans wanting a holding midfielder and a left back um and basically none have really been pursued um for a year and a half but you know and, and as things got worse on the pitch the relationship between carl and the The fans uh, has has, reached some pretty low depths and I think at most clubs given how poor the run of form had been and and the relationship between the fans and the manager breaking down I think most uh, managers would have been been let go before Saturday but as you say you know he'd been at the club a long time and um, yeah it just meant that the last few weeks have been really quite nasty and I'm... I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I assume um, there must be an element of relief for Carl Robinson now as well, that he doesn't have to turn up on a Saturday and um, be widely booed and jeered uh, every match day. So I'm relieved that a really kind of grim part of uh, the club's recent history is is now done with. And that's not to say that results are necessarily going to improve, but at least we can move on from the... Civil war, I guess, to an extent of a certain group of the, the fan base and, and, and the manager. Um, what happens from here, though, is is a big concern to me. Uh, if you look at the football club over the last year or so, you've had the ready-made caretaker manager and probable manager, John Massino, be poached by another club in League One, um, You know, a club who Oxford will be hoping will be a promotion arrival within League One next season if they don't get relegated. Um, which is frustrating given that the writing looked for most people like it was on the wall when Misenio was able to move to Portsmouth. You've had a head of recruitment move on and Mark Thomas who's become head of recruitment at Derby County. So right now you've you've basically got no manager or head coach. There's no director of football or head of recruitment at the club and then no assistant manager who is also the club captain. So there is a massive void at the football club on, on the on the football side of things and during the week uh the oxford ceo tim williams was on bbc radio oxford he was asked do you think there is a lack of football experience football operations experience on the board this is because you know he was a, a he was cfo i think at manchester united he's a, a accountant by background not someone who like a mark ashton for example who's a ceo who um oversees the footballing side of things and he said he completely refuted that and he list. he no word of a lie. This was on Thursday. He said he completely refuted that there is a lack of football operations experience on the board. There is Carl Robinson, was the first person he named uh, when talking about this. And then he mentioned Derek Fazakali, who is, who, who, as far as I'm concerned, left as a, as a permanent first team coach. And he mentioned Wayne Brown, who's the goalkeeping coach. Um, given that Carl Robinson has now left the club, I am pretty concerned as to who's going to be making the decision to to hire the new manager. Uh, that, you know, the the kind of manager that I would like to see appointed is a, you know, a younger, you know, up and coming coach from an academy or, or something similar. But without any structure around him, you you cannot bring in a manager of that type into the football club so do you repeat the same mistake again and do you go out and do you do you hire a manager and give them almost blanket control over all footballing matters at the club which was a massive reason why a lot of the fan base didn't want Kyle robinson to be there anymore it's i i don't know what's going to happen i really hope that um the big moves are being made to hire not only a, a manager but someone to to work between him and the ceo it seems like a pretty obvious way to start. I really hope the club are outsourcing some expertise in terms of the the managerial appointment as well. Um, You know, for those people who listen to this podcast a lot will know that I generally, I'm not one who likes um, to see managers brought in on short-term deals, but with Oxford the way they are at the moment, I I don't, the the profile of the man that you want to take the club forward with the, the current board continually talking about the need to develop young players, you know, being able to, to develop young players between now and May is totally and utterly irrelevant because Oxford need to find a way to get points on the board and to stay up. Um, but having said that, do you want to tie yourself to uh, someone who has the similar um, job role as Kyle Robinson long-term? Absolutely not. So, yeah, I'm really concerned. In my mind, the best thing to do would be to go to go out and get an interim manager till the end of the season. I don't think that's going to happen. The club have said that the, the search for a new head coach is ongoing. I, I just really hope we see as an Oxford fan, some evidence of a restructuring that is just essential uh, at this moment in time.
0: Well, he was, with Gareth Ainsworth, one of the top five longest serving managers in the EFL this time last week. Uh, Now, two of the top five are no longer uh, in that list. You've got Simon Weaver, who's been at Harrogate for 13 years, 281 days, uh, about 75% of that was in uh, non-league. John Coleman, of course, with Accrington, eight years, 161 days. Uh, Then Mark Robbins coming up to six years, I think next week or the week after, Robbins will celebrate six years in charge of Coventry. That's the top three. Uh, And now it's a drop to uh, Matt Gray of Sutton. Again, half of his tenure, or more than half, was in non-league. He'll hit four years in charge in three or four months, so in May. Uh, And then you're looking at Gary Rowett uh, and Mark Bonner of all people. I feel like Bon has only been in the job for about a year and and there he is as the, what is that, the sixth longest-serving EFL manager of the 72. Remarkable. Portsmouth beat Cheltenham 4-0. Big thumping win. Um, A a pleasure for the fans to watch, and I think that's not always been the case this season at Fratton Park. They were 3-0 up at half-time, and Cheltenham had not had a single shot. So it was one-way traffic. Uh, I must admit, despite four goals being scored, none of them by the striker Colby Bishop, I still noted how important he was in the build-up to at least two of the goals with his target man play. making sure that when long balls were played forward, not only did Portsmouth retain possession thanks to his physicality, but also that uh, the, the the runners uh, were, were in good positions and, and Dale and Jacobs, Curtis and Tunnycliffe all doing good things thanks to the unselfish work of of Colby Bishop. That's what you want your wide players and your attacking midfielders to do if you're going to play a target man type like Bishop, who frankly this season hasn't proven that he's likely to score a load of goals consistently but will do a ton of work to bring others into play. You have to then have the goal threats from those areas and that's not something that Portsmouth have had consistently. So uh, they're an interesting one to watch in terms of squad building going forward. If they want to um, keep with Bishop next season as a number nine and I think that there's lots of reasons why that would be a good idea then they are going to have to be smarter in terms of building the players that play around him Uh, and if they don't want to go with Bishop and they want to go with a more goal scoring number nine then again it's about um, how you kind of construct the team and the alchemy of it around it uh, Thompson scored an absolute thronker um, someone that's had such a tough time with injury Louis Thompson come back from a leg break um, scoring a worldie at the end so nice and easy for Pompey Cheltenham a bit all over the place to be honest they need to be careful now they're only two points above the relegation zone and in very poor form Fleetwood are not they beat Morecambe 1-0 and they just give themselves more and more breathing room uh, and they'll be in League 1 next season I'm pretty confident of that Carlos Mendez Gomez with the goal uh, and I think this probably falls into the category of the, the most acceptable muted celebration. Um, Mendez Gomez against Morecambe, the, the club that gave him a chance uh, when he was playing at West Didsbury and Charlton uh, in non-league um, and uh, with whom he absolutely thrived. And uh, Both Mendez Gomez and Morecambe doing well for each other, moving up the leagues. Um, and uh, and Mendes Gomez now... Um, Stabbing them in the heart in this game. Uh, Mellon had a big chance for them, um, but it, it probably from the from the highlights I saw, it looked like Fleetwood probably more likely to score a second than than Morecambe to score an equaliser. So uh, a, a fair result and another tight game that they've come out the right side of, which has been quite an impressive and important trait for for Fleetwood this season. Uh, George, Exeter two, Cambridge nil, and
1: and fully deserved um, as well. Exeter were were brilliant on the day. Um, I mentioned that I thought on the betting show that Cambridge had maybe turned a corner in terms of their performances, but they were were well beaten by an Exeter side who were dominant in every area of the pitch and were very good value for the win. Um, Archie Collins getting the first goal after 18 minutes, and then a magnificent story, Ali, uh, with the second goal with Kevin McDonald, um, who hadn't scored for a, a very long time, um, who had undergone a kidney transplant and. Stroke the ball into the into the kind of top right hand corner. Great story, a great player, and um, you know he nearly scored a second goal. Uh, an unbelievable volley that was cleared off the line. But Exeter, having had their own kind of troubling run of form themselves, with a, a yeah a pretty conclusive and pretty convincing two 0 victory. Again, they're a team who who aren't going to go up and aren't going to go down. Um, but more days like that will be very much needed. Uh, Cambridge struggling to get the points needed to, to force their way out of the relegation zone. Um, and that seems to be kind of the story right now for, for those teams at the bottom end of, of League One, with, with very few of them picking up any wins whatsoever, which is good news for that clutch of teams um, sitting just above it in terms of Oxford, Burton, Cheltenham.
0: Yeah, two draws down at the bottom. Forest Green drawing at home to Lincoln uh, means that more than half of Lincoln City's league matches this season have been drawn, uh, which is a bit of fun. And, and Burton nil, Accrington nil was a match that happened near the breweries that make authentic Spanish lager Madrid (laughs) Excepcional. A great place. Uh, in League 2, George, at the top of it, Grimsby 2, Leighton Orient 2 was a ding-dong involving the league leaders at Blundell Park. Uh, some very nice goals scored, particularly from Orient, and one crucial penalty save from Lawrence Vigaru. I make that now. Five penalties faced this season for Viggs, and three of them saved. And he didn't give this one away either, which he has done on a few occasions <laughs> earlier in the season. Uh, and, and that was a very good and important point for Leighton Orient, really, George, because Stevenage nil. Tranmere won. It's now five without a win for Steve Evans and Edge since beating Orient. Five without a win. Yeah, it just
1: feels like they've they won their huge game, and then whether it's complacency or just an inability to kind of get back up to it, it's amazing to think of the trajectory of both Orient and Stevenage since that game uh, where Stevenage looked the better team by by miles. Um, it's hard to put my finger, hard to put your finger on what's going wrong with Stevenage at the moment. Um, you know, this was. By no means a terrible display. The goal itself came from a clumsy tackle from Daryl Horgan giving away a penalty with Josh Hawks putting it away. Stevenage probably created a better chance as an open play in the game, um, but have lost that scoring touch in front of goal. And, you know, they go from having serious title aspirations to suddenly looking at the league table and, and wondering, because they've got their games in hand, I mean, those games in hand are losing their their currency quite quickly with the, the, the way the form is going. Um, they've got a difficult game going to AFC Wimbledon on Tuesday night which will be one of them um, but they're in a, a strange position now where um, you know they're, they're still in third um, but they've got two games in hand on Carlisle who are a point above them and have games in hand on, on every single team currently in the playoff places at least one two with a couple um, but yeah, as I say the, the the form has to turn I don't think they're necessarily playing terribly suddenly but they're not quite as, as dominant in both boxes as, we, as we'd seen um, but I I mean, I would lean on the um, side of them probably turning it around fairly soon. But uh, certainly Orient look, look well gone in terms of the title race.
0: Yeah, we thought this was like a two horse race type thing in League Two. And, and now Stevenage aren't even second. Again, you always feel a bit stupid when that sort of thing happens. Carlisle mm. uh, occupying second spot. George, they won 5-2 at Crawley. This one... I mean, it just looked very easy for them, which I think reflects a little bit on them and a lot on their opponents.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Crawley have basically the, the, conti- the complete um, antithesis of what we saw at the start of the season, where at the start of the season, they were incredibly poor in an attacking sense, but defensively okay. Um, here they were um, at least offered something going forward, but they were 3-0 down after half an hour, so it didn't really matter. Um, defensively, incredibly poor. Um Carlisle have, you know, stopped their own little slides, uh, where we saw them in in a poor run of form. Um, we see certainly in terms of um the creativity, Owen Moxon, probably the standout performer here, getting the, the assist from Mari Patrick, second goal and then scoring uh, the third goal where he I'm not sure he could really believe that he still had the ball before he kinda of rolled it in the near post. Um not the most convincing finish, but a brilliant player and, and good to finally see him getting on the score sheet uh yep yeah, I mean there's no denying that Carlisle were by far the better team here and um Scott Lindsay a credit to him I guess for making Crawley slightly more uh effective going forward but um defensively they look all over the place at the moment and um you know, they have to find a way you know they've got back-to-back away games now with a midweek trip trip to Tranmere um they are very much in danger of. of you know, falling back down the trapdoor into non-league. Um, they, yes, they've got four games in hand and Hartlepool above them. But again, that currency is worth very little when you're on 26 points from 30 games.
0: Yeah, Moxon got on his, his dancing shoes with one thing on his mind. That was a bit of fun. <laughs> I also enjoyed Mellish's cross for the first goal. I think he must be the most attacking centre-back in the league. He's like the Ahmed Hodzic uh, of, of League Two on the other side. Uh, and I'd 5 to be a Salford fan This weekend, because they won 5-2 at Mansfield. Uh, A Mansfield side who came into this having won three in a row. Big atmosphere at the one call. I think it's still called that. Uh, And they got comprehensively beaten and really picked apart by this Salford team. Hmm. The quality of some of the the build-up play and the quality of the passing, in particular, George, from a young man called Elliot Watt was absolutely incredible. His link-up with Matty Lund was brilliant for so many of the goals and so many of the chances that didn't end up in goals. What bagged three assists here, all of them different. One of them, he, he burst into the box, got to the byline, cut it back for Hendry. Uh, one of them was a, a through ball and one of them was a set piece. And the through ball is the one that I really wanted to, um, get, to go a bit bigger on because have you seen that film Boiling Point with Stephen Graham? I have, yes. And what's the most notable thing about Boiling Point with Stephen Graham? It's all
1: taken in one take,
0: just like this podcast. (laughs) It's all one shot, right? And there's a moment in this game which really made me feel like I was watching a film like that because Elliot Watt gets the ball in midfield, spots a through ball on for Hendry plays it perfectly and Hendry hits the post and the ball is cleared and the highlight doesn't end. And you're like, Oh, okay. Maybe that maybe the editor like fell asleep and we're just going to watch 10 seconds of useless footage here. Nope. 10 seconds later, the ball's back at the feet of Elliot Watt. He plays another beautiful through ball this time to Bolton who scores. And it's just so perfect. And the three assists take him on to 13 for the season, which is an incredible number. And uh, Probably just over half of a set piece assist, and then quite a lot from open play as well. I think there's only one or two players who have got more from open play. He's the assist leader comfortably, and he hasn't scored a goal. And I, I'm now really, really invested in what not scoring a goal this season because for me. Having, let's say, 15 assists or 17 assists and zero goals is way better than having 17 assists and one goal or two goals. So let's hope he doesn't take any more shots this season. Uh, It was a a famous win, really, for Salford. And it's, yeah, it was a a huge... I was really sitting up and taking notice watching this. Let's put it that way. Uh, Even even Callum Hendry's goal, which was only his second since the start of September, um, a, a drought, a goal drought that really put the dry in Hendry sorry <laughs> Jesus <laughs> right Northampton good weekend for them George 1-0 no win at managerless U. but yeah a big win
1: for them after a really disappointing run of form uh, that saw them drop out of the top three Luis Aperre who is a striker I don't think he's ever going to score loads of goals but getting his first goal since December um, you know important that your your striker is at least contributing in that way even though if he does, is someone who, who offers a lot more than that yeah um, For Colchester, again, frustrating for them. It's interesting that every club who was affected by the the managerial merry-go-round that was um, the Gareth Ainsworth move to QPR uh, were all beaten on Saturday, which will frustrate all three teams. Um, Colchester losing Bloomfield, uh, Ross Embleton in in as caretaker manager. I saw that Ben Garner was the odds-on favourite with the bookies this morning and that the market then went down this afternoon. So I don't know if there's any prospect of that being done. Anytime soon, or, or if another uh, appointment um, is likely to be the case. I mean, it does seem, looking at Twitter at least, that um, Colchester fans are expecting Ghana to be announced at some point fairly soon, which I think would be a great appointment, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I think, again, it's good to see Colchester would be making an external appointment. A guy who has built a, a very good League Two football team fairly recently, who I don't think necessarily did a terrible job at, at League One either. Um, with Charlton uh certainly wasn't regular Bristol Rovers but you know a manager with something about him I think almost quite similar profile to Richie Wellens in a, in a case where you can you can look at the, the poor jobs and, and maybe make excuses for it and there's quite clearly a high ceiling there too um very different though I guess in terms of style of play to, to what we've been used to in in recent seasons um and that that might be the concern between now and the end of the season although with Colchester there's not much to play for really that they're going to be safe so even if it's a, a couple of months of Ghana Getting you know seeing what he's got and, and and getting prepared for the summer wouldn't be the worst thing. um But yeah, b- big result for Northampton because, as we know, at the top end of League Two, uh, if you want to maintain your your position within the top seven, you've got to keep winning because the teams around the teams around you aren't going to stop.
0: I like that you said. I don't think a pair is ever going to score many goals because I was I was thinking about a pair this morning and I was thinking quite specifically. He's played the equivalent of 36 90s for Northampton in League Two and he's only scored seven goals and that is not great for a League Two striker. But then I thought of all the leagues where you could persuade me that someone who's almost never scored before would suddenly score 30 in a season, it's probably League Two. So I'm not ruling it out. And and my main point was going to be I like a Pere as a player kind of even without the goals. Like he's got this hurly-burly, herky-jerky awkward style of play <laughs> he can press that's the best analysis of all time in the pod <laughs> he's he's in the in the top chunk of league 2 strikers for ball carrying uh he's in the top chunk of league 2 strikers for laying on chances for his teammates his his he's got 10 assists and 7 goals in, in since the start of last season the problem is obviously goals and it's not just that he doesn't finish well he doesn't get that many chances either in terms of shots and xg he's really is down the bottom of league 2 strikers so He's not nailed that yet, but you know we we often we often talk about the fact you you'll never have a League Two striker that's good at everything because they wouldn't be playing in League Two. So you have to think when you're building your squad and when you look at the other players that you have, do we desperately need our nine to score um, at a, an above average rate, or do we get more out of them pressing and being disruptive and having a great ability to bring others into play and and running the channels and getting us up the pitch? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, the last thing to say about Appere is, it, according to his wiki, his page is, uh, his name rather, is Louis, George, uh, and then the initial P, and then Appere. Louis, George, P, Appere. So, there's a few things at play here. Presuming that it's not just the initial P, write it out, mate. How does Whoever's done your wiki page, how do they know that one of your middle names is George, but not know what the P stands for? Who's getting incomplete data when it comes to Appere? And also, he's half French. He's eligible for France. So I'm thinking we should be saying Louis Georges <laughs> and then maybe Patrice. Ah, not, not Pierre. Could be. Or maybe,
1: maybe it's Louis Georges <laughs> Papere.
0: Papere. <laughs> uh, anyway. With Benzema and Giroud soon to retire, there's there could be a, a numéro neuf slot available for Les Bleus coming up. So keep an eye out on that if he does find his shooting boots. George, uh, the four teams outside the playoffs are Bradford, Sutton, Swindon and Barrow. And they're banging the door down. They all won uh, on the weekend. Why don't you tell me about Doncaster nil, Bradford 1?
1: Yeah, Bradford, good value for it. Doncaster continuing their, their Jekyll and Hyde run of form where on any given day, they seem to be able to turn up and be a pretty functional, effective two football team. And then on any given day, just not really turn up at all. And that was the case here. Um, Bradford had 12 shots to their six. Um, one of Doncaster's six shots from the halfway line. Um, I think 10 of, of Bradford's 12 were taken inside the box. Andy Cook, with his being his normal self, he missed a couple of chances in the game, probably should have scored more than the one that he did get. Um, for Bradford, they seem to be uh, destined to just forever sit on the periphery of the top seven. I feel like they've been in eighth position for the whole season, um, but uh, un, you know, going through run of form at the moment, where if they if they continue to maintain this, they will get into it. Um, but they're another side. I mean, in a similar way to um, to Doncaster, wherever I think that Bradford are about to catch fire and really lay down their challenge um, for, the, for t- to finally break into that top seven and, and challenge for the top three. Uh, we then see them put in a, a poorer performance. They've got a couple of really interesting games this week, uh, where they play. They travelled to to Gillingham on Tuesday night, uh, a game that would have looked a lot easier six weeks ago, and then they host Colchester on Saturday, a game which would have seemed a lot easier six weeks ago. So, um, two games that are, you know certainly are winnable, but um, you know they they need to basically press on after these good performances in order to uh, ensure that they are in the mix come uh, the end of the season.
0: Yeah, Cook has scored 17 of Bradford's 38 league goals, 45% of them. It's the biggest proportion of any player in the EFL. Crucial for Bradford. Um, Barrow beat Stockport 1-0, having won just one in 12 games. They've now got back-to-back wins against Bradford and Stockport and it reminds me a lot of Barrow from the first two months of the season and even the similarities between those two wins are quite hard to get away from uh, in that the the out of possession performance was just absolutely immaculate uh, they kept Stockport away from any major chances in fact not just major they kept them away from anything really uh, with their shape and with their tenacity and then the goal like it did last weekend against Bradford came from a turnover a quick break uh, harrison Neal doing what he does best in midfield one of his six tackles in the game uh, won the ball and then released garner he squared it to k1-0 so same assist same goal scorer same result as last week the one to win against bradford and same pete Wild bonkers fist pumps uh, it's worth watching dave challoner's internal media uh stockport sort of internal uh, post-match interview really took aim at his team's performance here after what's been an amazing run, but I, I I just liked the way that he did it. Uh, it was very popular on NTT Twenty Squad as well. He was clearly very very angry and very like pointed in his criticisms, but not digging anyone specifically out. I just quite liked the balance that he found. And I must admit, my main thought was I wouldn't want to be Doncaster who are going to Edgeley Park next Saturday. George Newport nil Sutton two. I'm saying nothing.
1: Keep an eye on Sutton. Yeah, another. Two-goal display for Sutton. Still haven't scored more than two goals in a game. Uh, as we keep hearing, that's 39 games now. That's been the case. Who cares, I would say. Uh, they are so solid defensively that they barely ever need to score three goals in a game. Um, shout out for Priestley Farquharson, um, if you can manage it, <laughs> with a, uh, nearly one of the goals of the season, with a kind of un- unbelievable... Uh, it was almost like a cartwheel kick, um, which was uh, yeah just swatted away um, but for Sutton yeah you know the opening goal from a set piece the second goal a decent long range strike uh, another team I feel like a, I'm repeating myself a lot today but another team who you know went through a, a, a difficult run of games and have certainly come out the other, the other side now you know that you have to think that they're probably still an outside chance of, of getting into that top seven but as a wide man said just keep an eye on Sutton
0: most points in the league in the last 10 Swindon 3 Harrogate nil comfy home win for Jody Morris's Swindon uh, powered by Russian Hepburn Murphy whose goals would have meant a lot to him I think Uh, Hepburn Murphy's a Aston Villa youth kid scored a lot of goals in their academy had a few loans while he was kind of trying to make that transition from youth football to senior football not much success on loan I think it's fair to say and then after he was released he went to Paphos, in uh, the Cypriot First Division. And his first season was okay, not amazing, not terrible. And his second season, he missed the whole thing with injury. So it's two years away from England. He signed for Swindon at the start of September on a free... And he's just kind of he picked up a few little injuries, I think, here and there. Um, he got that red card the other day, which ruled him out for a couple of games. So I think these are big goals for him as he finds his feet as a, as a professional after a t- tough few years. And you could see with the sort of profile of attacker that he is, a potential decent partnership with uh, Charlie Austin growing from now to the end of the season. Um, let's be honest, the goals that he scored were pretty terrible from a Harrogate perspective defensively but that is nothing new for, for Harrogate and then the third goal was a very popular goal scorer uh, at Swindon that was Joe Tomlinson uh, if ever a goal was scored through pure desire I think it was this he seemed to win about eight 50 50s and then win a header and then smash it in um, he was back on loan uh, after a, a short spell on loan last season a short but very successful spell I think he was one of the EFL players of the month maybe for February young player of the month rather for February so um, good returning goal scorer they've got a big issue at uh, at the back Swindon terrible injury crisis defensively um, another one here I think it was Clayton got stretched off no Brennan got stretched off um, we're waiting still to see I think really what level Morris's Swindon are, are going to be at really um, they've got a, 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 a tough job catching the teams above them I would suggest but we shall see uh, and George Gillingham keep on winning them against Wimbledon.
1: Yeah, having gone 1-0 down as well. um, Another brilliant win. Great scenes at the final whistle with Neil Harris. I mean, it's amazing to think just how different a football club Gillingham feels now to to how it did for the last couple of weeks of last season, for the first four months of this season. um, A club that that felt like Neil Harris kind of stuck out like a bit of a sore thumb at Gillingham for a while, where we had to wonder why he was there and why he would stay there. Um, but the new owner coming in, the investment in January, the additions um, to the uh, senior footballing staff off the pitch um, Max Aimer getting his goal after two years since he last scored with the opener from a set piece um, you know it'll be f- massively frustrating for Johnny Jackson but the feel good factor at Gillingham now is is so good and I think you can often um, look at uh, positive runs at this stage of, of a season and already start looking ahead to next season and it does just feel to me right now like Gilliam are one of those sides who there's no reason why you know this new era um, and the, you know the positive steps they're taking pretty much every week and, and if they continue to recruit at the level that they were over the course of, of January with the likes of, of Lapsley, Nichols, and Dien coming in uh, amongst others Hawkins as well um, you know Gilliam could be a side to, um, to you know who, who go from being a team who, who've had to Swerve relegation despite being cast off in 24th position for a period of time this season to having genuine aspirations of promotion. That, with, uh, with the one coming,
0: uh, great to see. Hartley Ball and Walsall drew three all. Uh, Walsall finding ever more creative ways to draw games. Is that six draws in a row now? This one from from 3 0 up against one of the league's worst teams. And George, can you just what's happening with Dan Kemp? Is, is he the best? league two player of all time or the most the most clutch i think you'd probably say given the the timing of all of his goals at the moment
1: i think dan kemp is the footballing equivalent of a uh, werewolf where he only you know he he just he changes what he is his whole bodily form when the clock hits 90 minutes (laughs) I, i was gonna say that he's a vampire but then he does actually score some goals sometimes. So he does exist before, um, you know, before, before in, in the daylight. But yeah, it's it's absolutely unbelievable uh, what he's doing. You know, it was a couple of penalties this time around, but he, you know, if you take his goals away from Hartlepool's recent recent form, then their position looks a lot worse. Another team with a managerial change, of course, with uh, Keith Curl coming out. John Askey coming in, you know, a manager who's, who's certainly got a decent reputation within the game, who uh, has a, a recent promotion, Uh, with York uh, albeit at a a very different level um, feels like quite a different appointment again I mean it's just mad how many appointments and sackings Hartlepool have made since they returned to the EFL um, you know what is it 14 months ago or so Uh, no that's more than that a year and a half Um, but I guess when you are a team at the bottom end of League 2 you know you are naturally just going to keep chopping and changing because it's the only thing you can do. Um hopefully if you know if, if they are able to stay up ASCII is the man to to take them forward because you know you can't um continue to operate in that way. Uh you know he's someone who has a lot of EFL experience albeit not that recently. You know certainly his, his Shrewsbury and his, and his Port Vale sides um they weren't particularly impressive jobs that we remember overly fondly. Um but Yeah, I mean, it feels to me like maybe uh, Keith Cole obviously didn't have the reaction that was wanted uh, beyond an early um, reaction. But Askey maybe seems like a more long-term plan. Um, And if they were to to get relegated, um, maybe Askey would be the man to to try and get them back up out of the National League.
0: Well, first and foremost, he needs to learn how to handle a werewolf slash vampire attack. I know, well, it
1: must be a nightmare in training because it's, you know, different form. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I didn't know you had such a firm grasp on mythical creatures. It's, it's quite yeah. Learn something new about you every day. I'm
1: sure. I'm sure some who know more than me will will get in touch saying I've got it all wrong.
0: So I wouldn't worry about that. We've reached the twilight of the podcast now so thank you for listening let me tell you that Crew drew 1-1 with Rochdale as well which was more entertaining uh, than the scoreline might suggest Uh, a huge thank you to Betfair for their support of this podcast got some interest in midweek the FA Cup 5th round includes Grimsby at Southampton we got an all EFL tie one of Burnley and Fleetwood will be in the last eight sheffield united hosting spurs we've also got stoke uh, hosting brighton bristol city hosting man city uh, and blackburn go away to leicester Uh, there's a couple of games in the championship uh, four in league one and five in league two on tuesday as well so lots to keep you occupied we'll be back again on thursday with a betting show go out